0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's Jake and Andrew Spade on the latest OBR Film Breakdown as we shift our attention to Bengals Week by asking three important questions about the upcoming game, including looking at the Browns, structure defensively around Denzel Ward, what type of shape Joe Burrow is in, the coverage both teams will try to play in this one, and much, much more. We're all getting ready for this game. It's going to be a huge week one contest. Both sides are going to be pumped up. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere up in Cleveland. We're going to have you covered in the next few podcasts, getting you ready for this game. So let's get going with the latest OBR film breakdown. Thank mm-hmm. you. Okay guys, we are live here for your Wednesday episode. It's myself, Andrew Spade. We are going to start sort of a little introduction to Browns Bengals, shifting our focus there, followed by several different podcasts in your week here to get you prepared for this AFC North matchup, which is going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be an absolute nut house up in... Cleveland Brown stadium, not first energy stadium anymore, Cleveland Browns stadium. So it is, it is just, it's hey put it this way, Andrew. And I hate week one because it's just, it's, it's yep. over, over analyzed. It's just, we've been waiting for it for so long and people are going to draw wild conclusions uh, one way or the other. And I've said this and I want to do this before we get to our big questions, but this general talking point, as I've been, I've been sort of having some recordings done with Bengals folks is like this game is far more important to the Browns. I just oh, think for sure. the Bengals have realized the last few years that they can start slow and these games don't matter uh, early in the season all too much. And it, the mm-hmm. same sort of thing here. I'm thinking last night we were having a discussion about Travis Kelsey and someone's people are actually asking if he's like, why would he play week one? I, I, he's going to be up yep. three to four weeks. Right. These, these teams who are experienced know that September football means absolutely nothing to the grand scheme and like, know they can recover and be fine. And I understand the AFC is an arms race to finish as high as you can to get home field. But I just don't think it matters home field the way it used to. And teams are just worried about being healthy and winning the division if they can, and like getting into the playoffs. So I just think this game for the Browns means a lot to the vibes of Kevin Stefanski, to the organization, taking themselves serious in the AFC North uh, just just a lot more riding on it from the Browns side. Would you agree with that or do you think that's off base and the Bengals are going to be kind of emptying the clip at the same ratio?
2: No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think uh our you know, our good buddy Cody Sook you know, had a great tweet yesterday about you know, if the if the Browns win, if they're going to the Super Bowl, if they lose, you know, it's a full inquisition with everything that's happened all offseason and it'll just be you know, from Sunday to next Sunday will be the most miserable week of the year for the Browns, you know, and fans and everything. So no, I, and I think, you know, to your point about the, the, the way that NFL teams see September, I think that's a, it's a great point And I want to, I want to emphasize that because like we talked about this last week, the Bengals were a 500 team through the end of October, came into Cleveland on Halloween night, got blown out on Monday night football. And, and there were some real questions being asked and then they didn't lose again until the AFC championship game. So if if you have that ability in your team to reel off seven, eight straight down the stretch, then you know, you can go two and two or even one and three through September, and you're not even gonna break a sweat because you know, you know, that's a quarter of the season, and the most important thing, as you said, is getting healthy and getting your your team to where it needs to be play style-wise halfway through the season so that you you're able to hit the ground running for the stretch run and that's that really has been increasingly the way you know now that it's out to 17 games that's increasingly how teams are the you know less of an emphasis on the preseason uh, for even playing starters and then understanding that the first few weeks are about figuring out what you have now for the browns they don't have that luxury because the pressure is so high that and nobody trusts them to reel off six or seven straight down the stretch so it, you know, you you can't you cannot go, you know, three and five over the first eight and be calm. People will be losing their minds, and so the the pressure, especially with all three division games happening before the bye week, the pressure to be at least two and two there is, I
1: think, immense. It is immense, and especially getting the Bengals in. A sort of, I, I think it's a sort of vulnerable position. I think that's fair mm-hmm. to say. Um, For sure, it does matter, and. Let's listen. Let's shift over and talk uh, about these 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 uh, d- several questions we have. So the angle we're sort of taking here is three introduction Browns questions, not storylines, but just questions that we want to answer uh, early on. And, and unfortunately, I have I have recorded one side of the football the Bengals. guests. I lost the other side to uh, to Zoom's uh, poor structure. And I, I listen. I rage quit Zoom and deleted it from my computer, Andrew. I will never use that product again because it wasted my time. But I do have some idea. This is kind of a good thing and a bad thing. I have some idea of the Bengals thinking going into this, their side of it. So I'm trying not to ruin future episodes here. But like the Joe Burrow question is the biggest first question. I think it's it's pretty fair. Now, I think the, the lead up and, and you kind of look back to last year and you say, okay, he had the same sort of lack of prep, ramp-up, run-up period to the first game last year, he came out and he struggled. And I think what we're doing is asking ourselves, is, is that going to happen again? Is that going to replicate itself again? And I think that it's definitely possible. The difference is the appendectomy is an open surgery that he had the year before, and he lost a ton of weight, and it's just different just different, you know, calf strain, a, a grade one, which is pretty much what it seems like he's going through keeps you off the field, but it doesn't destroy the body. the way an open appendectomy does. I, I think the thing that is huge here is not that Joe Burrow can throw and do the simple processing things that Joe Burrow can do. It's, it's what, are you getting the full Joe Burrow experience, which if we're being honest, what makes Joe Burrow, really difficult is that he will take off and run he will get out of the pocket throw on the run but he will take off on third and seven when you put a blitz scheme together and it's covered well and he'll turn that into a running first down if you're not getting that comfortable running Joe Burrow Andrew I'm sure you would agree with me that does change it it doesn't mean Joe can't beat you the other way. But a part of what makes him annoying and really tough to beat is that he is very willing to get out and run and, and be a, yeah. a, an athlete. And I think that is the single biggest question. It feels like at this point, I think is going to be a full participant in practice by the end of the week. He's playing. It's what version are you getting? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and I think um, – I, I mean, I, I agree with you that I think it's like 90 95% that he plays. <laughs> I do think – you know, there is like a little conspiracy. Th- I, you know that I'm good for one of these a week. And, oh, and yeah. I, there's just, there's a little part of me that just wonders if, you know, to your point before that they know that the season is long and, and the fact that he hasn't yet been a full participant, I, I just think there's a chance that they are trying to deke the Browns into thinking he's ready because they have not given him the full green light. And it's, you know, we I mean, we'll see what happens with Wednesday practice, but, but, um, you know he has not yet gotten the full green light and so there's just up there's a little part of me that just wonders and i'm sure it's mostly just the you know hilariously optimistic browns fan but just wonders if they hold him back just to be extra safe but to to your point about him playing which again i think is 90 95% chance um yeah you you, you wonder what he's going to be able to do on the move even in the pocket with pocket movement right his his ability to make those small adjustments he's going to be under pressure there's not a world in which I don't see the Browns getting a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow uh, in this game. The question is how he is able to mitigate it and get the ball out quickly, and that stuff requires those sorts of small movement skills, quickness, you know, uh, to to manipulate the pocket. And so I think um, it's just a, it's an open question until we see it. Now I think uh, you know, just like I think there's a 95 percent chance that he plays, I think there's an eighty percent chance that you know drive one. It's like oh he's fine. This was much ado about nothing. He's fine, and he dices him up and and it's like this is game on because the Bengals are ready to go, you know. Um, but I do think it's it's a it's worthwhile asking because if he's anything less than that version with the pressure the Browns stand to be able to apply on him, uh it that is the the clearest line to the Browns having a, you know, a really good shot at winning this game. But if he's himself, then it's we know what a challenge it'll be.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest baseline for this whole thing with the Browns-Bengals is can the Browns, who historically were awful in run defense last year, are they able to keep Joe Mixon in check and force the Bengals to play from behind the sticks? If you are consistently allowing the Bengals to be in third and four or less, it's just such a challenge, and I think we could agree that If this team were to come out and play the run poorly after what we saw last year and believing that they have not only dumped assets but uh, schematically changed things to fix this, it would be really disheartening if you're watching Cincinnati rip off chunk runs in shotgun run game and it just puts those guys into easier situations all day. The the moral of the story for me is, is point blank they need to make life on Joe Burrow as difficult as possible because even if he's healthy, even if he's right, he has not had a lot of time pushing the football on the field, doing things, the natural elements. Even if he does go full Wednesday, he just hasn't done a lot of stuff. So you're just saying like the margin for error for Joe could be a little wider than Mm -hmm. it traditionally is. So I hope that they figure out the run element. I think it's the single biggest underlying piece of things is, making the game sit in the hands of joe burrow not that joe burrow can't still win but just saying i would like them to to take that element of of uh you know the annoying stuff joe Mixon can do and really roll this into a situation where the pass rush is predictable and they they know what's coming as often as possible and they're in a good spot to deal with it that way you know what i mean i just don't want them to be yeah. able to create easy rushing yards that makes life on joe a lot simpler right if that makes sense
2: no, for sure. We know that Joe Burrow can do it. He can take the team on his back, but given the injury and the fact that it's week one, you want to force him to do that. You know, you want to force him to play hero ball week one. And again, it goes back to the, it goes back to what we talked about, or what you mentioned at the beginning in terms of, you know, teams wanting to kind of come into the season slowly. The The dream for any of these teams is to is to get an easy week one victory where, you know, you're, your 60% run in the second half because you've got a two touchdown lead and you just don't have to worry about you know emptying your playbook or stressing your quarterback exposing them to you know undue pressure that's the dream for any any team in week 1 is that you you know it's like the ravens have the texans you know and it's like they've got to be so excited to try out about half their playbook and then shut things down mid third quarter when they're up by you know 15 16 17 points so um you know this is a, this is a division game it's a big game, you know, for at least as you said for the Browns. So you hope that the Browns can kind of push the Bengals a little bit and put them in those uncomfortable situations to see how they respond.
1: Yeah, that would be my single biggest goal is make the Bengals make a ton of uncomfortable decisions in third and pass. Yep. Right. What are you are you gonna keep somebody in for miles? Are you gonna play? Are you gonna try to you gonna put us spread us out? Like what what is their game plan? Do they trust their five guys enough? that they Mm -hmm. have acquired and and rightfully improved. It's a better offensive line. Mm -hmm. But do you trust it enough to to send out four guys, five guys on routes? And I think that's a huge element. If you're double-teaming, who are you double-teaming? Do you trust Jonah Williams enough at right tackle to handle Zedarius Smith? There's just a lot of element uh, element stuff there, which I think goes to the next point, Andrew, which I'm sure you would agree with me, is the second biggest part of this equation, the second question, I guess, is really just built around – is Denzel Ward playing and how does the secondary alter based on that decision? Right. To me, the coverage stuff the Browns want to do, which is play more man, is not really the ideal call in this game. If you remember last year, the Bengals really struggled early in the year because they were trying to draw clear lines between their under center concepts and their shotgun concepts. And it was just, It was ugly and they figured out, Hey, let's just put Burrow in shotgun. Let's develop a diverse run game from shotgun and create ways to get the football into just whoever's opens hands. They were, they were forcing it to Jamar chase teams were playing cover six sitting over top of him with a down corner and safety over top and half field coverage. And just, it it was a mess. And then they figured it out, right? They figured it out that they didn't have to hit home run plays and they could do different things to create, create space, And then you look at how the Browns want to play. And if you look at the preseason as an indicator, Andrew, like they played a ton of man and they played a ton of cover three. They sprinkled in some cover two and cover six. And I guess just my general question is, if Denzel Ward is playing, how comfortable are they playing man? If he's not playing, who the hell are they going to put on the field and how Mm -hmm. are they going to defend? Because I don't want Mike Ford cam mitchell or anyone else playing man coverage against whoever like if you're going to say mm-hmm. okay maybe greg Newsom or whoever you send with with uh with jamar chase because he's in the slot he, he, they can move jamar chase all over the place They they tend to keep t higgins in one location but they'll move jamar all over the place yeah. so if yeah. you're trying to play a bunch of man it's it's dicey and then like I guess the piggyback off of that to kind of go to you, Andrew, is, is, is Jim Schwartz going to change who he's been because <laughs> so often he's been a, a predictable coverage coach. And yeah. I think that what made Tennessee with his front pairing so successful was that they were deceptive from pre to post in right. terms of snap looks closed to open coverage. And I'm just, I just want to see how they're going to conv- like confuse Joe Burrow. Cause I'll give Joe Woods some credit that October game that they beat the snot out of the Bengals. They had Joe confused. They were doing right. some moving coverage stuff that gave him a lot of confusion that caused a lot of checkdowns and a lot of quick throws, and they took advantage of that. So I'm just... The secondary in general, Denzel, and then how they're playing the coverage that... Because if you let Burrow just sit... Hey, if Burrow knows, hey, it's cover three. There's some man. There's easy indicators. He's going to pick that apart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be a particularly challenging day for him uh, if that's the case. I, I Yeah, I mean, one... So, there's like the specific question about Ward's injury availability for this game. And then there's the philosophical question about Jim Schwartz and how much, uh, you know, change he's going to make from the coach that he was really that, you know, like his stubbornness in that way, I think is what got him fired in Philadelphia. Right. And so you start to worry that, you know, that, that, that tendency, that inability to, to adapt is going to show up again. Uh, and it was something that was really a problem with Joe Woods. So, you you know, you would hope that the Browns don't go from one, you know, defensive coordinator who's a little too stubborn to another one who's a little too stubborn. Um, and, and to the point about Ward, if you're down your best cornerback against the Bengals, that is the perfect opportunity to be, show some versatility and be uh, deceptive and be different so that you can kind of get through the game. Because I think you... You feel okay about uh, MJ Emerson on T Higgins, right? I think I feel okay about that. I, mm-hmm. you know, no, no, you don't ever feel good about anybody on Jamar Chase because of who Jamar Chase is as a player and the sort of psychic connection that he has with Joe Burrow, right? But like, you feel okay with Emerson on on Higgins, but now you've got Newsom on Chase probably, and then as you said, kind of question mark on Tyler Boyd. Uh, I like, so you like one of the three matchups to be okay. If you're playing man, the other two, you're, you know, close to scared about. So (laughs) it, it really presents, like I said, the perfect opportunity to him to kind of, for him to kind of prove that he, he has kind of changed his stripes a little bit and is willing to adapt when the circumstances require him to adapt. And I think with being without Ward in this game would require some adaptation.
1: It's well said. I, I also think there's uh, an element to like people saying, well, just throw three safeties on the field. Well, if you do that, you're not playing right. man coverage. You're, you're really just limiting sure. yourself to zone. Right. You, you, you cannot have too many indicators for quarterbacks on the field. If you make them think less, you're in trouble with the really good ones. And mm-hmm. how I'm just saying how they navigate this, we'll see if Ward makes a miracle recovery over the next few days. I highly doubt it. If they yeah. if they get a if they if they get into this game without him, I, I just sort of worry about that. And then it's you, oh, know, you sure. can mitigate you can mitigate pass rush by just getting the football out quick. And I think yep. uh, their plan will be to get the football out quick. So um, and yeah, and, and Burrow else trusts on that his
2: one? receivers to win. You know, yes. in all sorts of coverage situations, so he has no problem taking a three step drop and then launching the ball bl- almost blind, trusting that Jamar Chase is going to win. And that's the exact sort of nightmare for the Browns is, you know, it's like the supercharged version of that duck Hodges game from five years ago or whatever, where yep. he was just chucking the ball down the field, you know, and um, I don't even remember who the receiver was at this point uh, was just winning on every jump ball or getting a penalty called, you know, and that was mm-hmm. the the Browns cornerbacks were in hell all day because they were, they just were overmatched man to man. And so, yeah, you're, you're either looking at, as you said, some, from schwartz's history some predictable zone coverages or getting you know a little toasty and man-to-man i i think it's, it's going to be so interesting i wish we were having this conversation you know uh 24 hours from now because i think we'll know a lot more about denzel Ward's yeah. status because uh, yeah. i think if he's coming back he's got to probably get on the field on wednesday
1: Again, for me, it's it's just like you see all these times and we and I, you do this with the Bengals with Lou Anarumo over the years here, the last few years, where it's like, look at this thing they did. They they look at this. They, they completely changed some of who they are. I know we don't really totally know who the reworked version of Jim Schwartz is. The preseason is not going to give you that answer, but I just think it'd be really fun for a change to be like, look at this plan they implemented look how they did this that or the other to keep the Bengals on their on their on their heels right and like that's the conversation that I think we would like to be having after this game is that that Jim Schwartz came up with a really creative solution and that would really bode well for like you said game to game adaptation of concept and um, I think it's just a huge, it's a huge question, a huge question yep. of how they overcome that. And I know they're yep. having the same discussions we are, and they they don't want to break in the back half, right? They right. don't want to have too, too many issues. So you'll take predictability over busted coverages every day of the week, but right. you also need to make Joe uncomfortable. So how they go about that is going to be a massive storyline. So, okay, we're going to take a break, come back, and then we have a couple more to hit on. I think we even have a bonus question to throw in there too. So, um, you know, like I said, word from our sponsors, and then we will return.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: What's up, guys? It's Jake again, here to talk about what I do believe is the premium place to buy tickets for your NFL season this year. You go into Browns games, trying to find the best prices. Should you wait? Should you not? You know, Week one is creeping up on us, but there are some really fun games on that home schedule. And you can get any of them using the GameTime app. That is GameTime.co if you're on the web browser. But the app is where it's at. Shouldn't be stressful to buy tickets, and man, game time's the fastest, easiest way to buy those tickets for any sporting event local, whether it's, like I said, you're going to Browns games or you want to go to concerts, comedy, theater, anything. They got killer last-minute deals, price guarantee, all the stuff you need so you can stop stressing over tickets, start getting hyped up for the fun you'll have. Right, Go to the game time app. I do it all the time, looking at trying to take my nephews to an Ohio State game this year. You know, the, the experience of looking at not just the the best deals, the flash deals, right? Those last minute deals you can unlock, but also being able to look at the stadium map and pick out where you want to sit and get the picture from, you know, where the spot in the stadium is. And then again, the lowest price guarantee, cancellation event protection, job loss protection, all of that stuff just makes it even better. It's the place to go for last minute tickets, or to be honest, even when you're planning ahead, I think it is 100% the place to go. And Again, you, you have a fantastic mobile app. You can go online. You can look at those seats. They're sent directly to your phone. Those tickets are. You don't have to dig through your email. Two taps, you're set. Everything you need is at game time. So Download the game time app. Create an account. Use the promo code OBR. Very simply, OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem the code OBR. $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed.
2: All right. So we talked about the... Uh, Browns secondary and their pa- plans to defend um, Joe Burrow and, and obviously that stable of Bengals wide receivers. I think we also want to talk about the Bengals secondary, right? Because it is a big question uh, for, for us, maybe less so for the Bengals guys. Uh, they've, they're replacing three-fourths of their starting secondary uh, o- over this offseason, and I think it's an open question for me when you're plugging in drafted players that have not seen the field much, we're talking about Dax Hill, uh, you know, Cam D- Taylor Britt played some last year. Jordan Battle is a is a, is a a draft pick this year who might play at the other safety position or you've got Nick Scott, the, fr- the free agent. I think it's an open question what you're going to get out of those players. And so really the question I have for you, Jake, is how good is the Bengals secondary going to be week one?
1: Put it this way. There's a lot of faith. (laughs) I think that that's kind of, I wouldn't expect a group in house who covers them to feel like they're just a glaring weakness there, especially given the talent that they have drafted. Those are high assets that they have selected. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect to hear from someone about young talent that, that, that these guys just can't do it because you don't know. Right. But when I say when I have talked to, to one of the best and I'm going to have Jake on to talk offense yesterday, I've referenced this, but I lost the defense and I, and I don't know if I'm going to get him back to talk defense. But I do think Jake is one of the more level headed Bengals guys covering the team. And he was pretty high on the talent, Andrew. I mean, he thinks that Dax Hill is going to have a break. He's a former first-round pick in 22. So, like, a first-round safety, you know, a hybrid safety type that can do multiple things. He sees them using him in a similar mold to the alignment stuff with Minka Fitzpatrick does. Not to say he said in it specific, it's not the, not calling him that player, but his athletic profile and how they plan to use him could be very similar And they think they can hide Nick Scott in deep coverage and let Dax and the group play uh, a a bunch of different ways. And then they like Cam Taylor-Britt. And I think the big question I had asked him was, hey, man, is Cheetah Beowoozie back, right? He tore that ACL in Cleveland, if you recall. Mm -hmm. And most of these corners, like Tredavious White, these guys coming back from ACLs, like you're just kind of not right away the same. So... I think he'll be fine by the middle these ACL recoveries. I know we talked about it with Sione Taki yesterday in Slack. Like it's getting wild how quick these guys are back. But I think the twitchiness of corner is a little different. And like the ability of a yeah. corner to be right away, ready to go is different than a lot of other positions. So he said he's, <laughs> he said he's looked good. He's looked healthy. He looked twitchy, but he hasn't, He hadn't gone a ton until late in camp. Like, he didn't get any live action in the preseason and stuff. Like, that's just an element of what we're watching. Because if you don't have Cheeto, it starts to get like you have to put DJ Turner, the rookie, on the field. And listen, I, again, I would not expect, given the nature of the selections they have made and the signings that they have made, for a Bengals analyst to be like, this is a giant question. I think they're broke and whatever, whatever. Right. It just sort of happens, and you have to accept it maybe week six or seven that it's not a great group. So I think that the Browns are catching them in a good spot here week one. Cheeto coming in his first live game action. You got you got Cam Taylor, Britt, who's a young. They're all young. So I yep. think the, a huge thing the Browns offense should do, which we'll talk about in just a minute, is trying to confuse, manipulate, use formation indicators that confuse this young secondary because they're mm-hmm. talented but it's it's not how talented they are from an athletic profile point of view it's how disciplined are they right and how good are they at being put in uncomfortable situations that maybe they don't excel at so i think that it's very fair to question that group and i hope really hope that they they do some things to challenge the discipline of that secondary
2: yeah, I I I'm talked about replacing three quarters of the secondary, and then neglected to mention that the the fourth guy that's coming back is kept recovering from an ACL. That again, the, yeah, he tore the last day of October. So you're talking about you know a ten month recovery there uh, for a player who is 28, and I think that's part of it too, right? Is it? It's one thing to tear these when you're a younger guy. The older you get, the more that you start to worry about the burst coming back the same way, and you you start to not trust it. So maybe you give more cushion those sorts yep. of things uh, yeah i think so so yeah i think it's fair to say you know at least uh sort of half question marks for both of the cornerback positions Owusiea and Cam Taylor Britt and then it's a it's you know we've seen a little bit of what Nick Scott can do in in LA like you said they're going to probably try and hide that deep player to a certain extent and then Dax Hill is yeah highly drafted but i think it's fair to say that any any draft player, I think you have to treat as a sort of coin flip. So if you're if you're counting yep. on multiple drafted players in your secondary that you haven't seen in game action, I think it's fair to assume half of those players aren't going to pan out, right?
1: Yeah, like yep, yep. The,
2: the you know, and we can look at the Browns' defensive tackle room as a sort of guy. I mean, that was less than fifty percent, but it's the same thing. Where last year we're saying, well, you spent a third round pick on Jordan Elliott, you spent a fourth round pick on Tom, uh, Tommy Togi, you spent a fourth round pick on Perry on Winfrey. One of those guys has to hit. Well, they went 0 for 3. So it is possible, like you said, by midseason that it's like we thought these guys were here, you know, sort of, you know, uh, above average starters. And now we're seeing that they're more replacement level players. Maybe they're not the worst guys in the league, but certainly it's not the same as when you had Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell back there. Because that's the other half of this, right, is it's, they're not replacing, you know off-the-street guys. They're replacing Jesse Bates as a pro bowler, Von Bell, one of the smartest players in the league. Those are those are changes. And so the hope is, is that the Browns can kind of manipulate what the Bengals do, uh, dictate the coverages a little bit to give themselves some opportunities. So to that point, Jake, my next question is, how does the Browns' offense approach the Bengals? Uh, what areas do they look to exploit? They've got more matchup creation ability than they did last year because of the swiss army knife ability of elijah moore Mm -hmm. because of the uh you know jordan akins can play split out wide the same way that david njoku can you could go 12 and still have you know four quote-unquote wide receivers on the field right you could you could have two tight ends on the field and neither of them be inline blockers with with the personnel that they've got so how do the browns find those favorable matchups against the secondary and try and kind of go around and test each of these individual elements and see where they can find those weaknesses.
1: Yeah. Early in the game should give us an indicator, right? Like what are they living in? If they, if they don't want Mike Hilton on the field, as you and I have discussed, like Mike Hilton is a dangerous weapon. He's a weapon from a nickel play the run physicality standpoint that you just don't see a ton of. He can take on every he, for his size, he takes on guards pretty well. Like he can play. Um, the question is, will the Browns try to use 12 personnel to to get him off the field as often as possible, right? Um, if they do that, will the Bengals just say, screw it, we don't care. We don't want to put Marcus Bailey or Akeem Davis-Gather on the field and we will just keep Mike Hilton out there because we view Jordan Akins more as a receiver anyway than a tight end. Um, that's the stuff you pay attention to. Are the Browns going to live in 11 and try to spread them out to get – Nick into lighter boxes and say that we would prefer to create space rather than get them out of a personnel grouping, because I know the Bengals will still match 11 or sorry, 12 personnel with nickel at times So it might take going to 13 personnel just to get Mike Hilton off the field, which that at that point, that is just such a detriment to what you're trying to do and who you're trying to evolve into offensively, that it becomes not even worth it. So I think you just have to live with Hilton being on the field. And the question is, can you uh, sort of, put Hilton in positions where he has to cover an Elijah Moore one-on-one whether that's through concepts that, you know, he's going to be playing certain spots in zone coverage, or you think you're going to get him in some man coverage and you can take advantage because that is a spot. They can take advantage of Elijah's a nice route runner. And I don't think Hilton covers. Well, you mentioned the blitz. I mentioned the run game. There are things that he does at a level that not many cornerbacks in the slot do, but he is vulnerable in that area. Mm -hmm. As we've seen over time in the division back when he was with Pittsburgh too. So I think that's just a fascinating element. And like I said, how much deceptive run game stuff are they using? Because I think you really have to challenge the discipline of these young players in that secondary, yeah. you know, the Bengals are so experienced up front. They got a bunch of guys back. Um, and I think that's an under discussed cool part of this matchup. Now, Andrew, is that like the coaching staff consistency on both sides, yes. I know the Browns turned over the defense, but the roster consistency and coaching staff consistency lends itself to being like, this is pretty cool. Like we know who most of the players are and it's just really storyline driven, which is what we're talking about here. But like at that point, you know, if they're the same team up front, they, they don't have Joseph Asai for this game. More than likely they do. They're going to have to play their young first round pick miles. Murphy. Um, the two linebackers are very experienced. I don't expect the Browns to create any easy stuff up front is my point. The way they can create some easy stuff is in the back half with some manipulation. And that largely comes from being able to run Nick from gun in a variety of ways, mm-hmm. and then you start to get them conflicted on playing the run, getting your run fit down, and then you get them with some play action because mm-hmm. the Browns need to create a chunk play, somehow, some way, create a couple chunk plays in this game. So I I think it's a huge like we're talking about Jim Schwartz and what's he doing and we the thing that sucks about seeing how he handles coverage is we won't know. I mean, because you can't see him in the broadcast view, so we won't really have a great idea unless they give us the Browns create some big plays and they do the wide camera angle replay. Um, but on offense. It, it to me comes down to like, if, if Schwartz's coverage, secondary stuff is what we're paying most attention to on the defense on offense. It's how are they using personnel to create advantages or dis like putting themselves at the disadvantage? Are they hurting themselves or helping themselves? And, and then from there, it's like, how are they handling the shotgun run game to create that? You know, Kevin is obviously changing who he is, but at his core, he is still trying to make teams think the run is the pass and the pass is the run. And like, that's a huge part of who he is. That's a huge part of who they should still be, even despite getting away from more of the under center, turn your back to the defense stuff. So I'm just super interested in that, Andrew, and the pistol stuff, like how they look using that sort of, you know, look to keep Deshaun and the gun a bit more comfortable. And um, and like, oh God, it's so, I'm just, there's a lot of elements to this game <laughs> that are so fascinating from the Brown side because they've, you know, the staff is the same on offense, but they're recreating themselves, right? So, I just am, am really interested to see ways in which they know who the Bengals are. Now, Lou Anna Rumo has never been afraid to, to, to take a game plan and who they've been and bottle it up and throw it in the trash. But I think the Browns should have a good feel for who the Bengals are and how prepared do they look for those. You know, I, again, I think the Bengals are a rare team, one of the most coaching staff collective consistency in the NFL, the Bengals are. Uh, And I know how frustrated you and I have been that their coordinators haven't been hired. So (laughs) I just think that the Browns should have a pretty good feel for who they are on both sides and put together a game plan that really challenges them. It would be very disheartening to be in the second quarter and just feel like they have no traction gained on Mm -hmm. offense. So Mm -hmm. I hope that they're creating early, they're looking early possessions at what the Bengals are going to do to react to personnel groupings. And then trying to establish some sort of run look that's going to create some confusion, maybe that pays dividends later in the game. You know what I mean?
2: I do, I do, and I think, I think that's you know that's the chess game that happens in these matchups. That as you said, you don't even really see it play out until you're reviewing it later because you can't see how they answer and how they how they adjust their coverages to to what the Browns are doing personnel wise. But I think specifically for me, I'm just curious about the Elijah Moore situation and how he is used because we talked about this all preseason the amount of out of the backfield stuff that he's done I with this particular team I I don't I correct me if I'm wrong or you see something that I don't but I don't see the advantage that that gives them bringing him into the backfield a lot here I think what I want to see them do is like you've talked about manipulating the the Bengals through the tight end usage right using Akins and Najoku to get the numbers the way that they want on, on the outside coverage wise. And I think having another pass catcher at a true wide receiver position is part of that as well. And and I think Cooper and Moore swapping off who's in the slot and who's outside is another way that they can, they can also play with that. So I uh, really just interested to see, I mean, you know, he, he more is the biggest offseason acquisition on the offensive side, I think. And so, you know, how that looks first time out against a team that you need that kind of his kind of skill set against the ability to win one on one. Uh, how they deploy that is something I'm going to be totally locked in because that will be obvious from the TV copy. That'll be obvious what he's doing, how busy he is, and how I mean, how frankly, how gimmicky his role is versus how sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? How traditional it is.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think Goodwin's return might help with alleviating some of that stuff. Um, Good point. That's a great gimmicky point. stuff. I really hope so. But all right, listen, this has been a great intro to Bengals week. I think we're going to get even more granular over the coming days. Uh, visit with some guests. Like I said, I already have one half recorded. I'll try to get another half recorded. that get a Bengals perspective on this thing. And then before you know it, Andrew and I will record a Saturday sort of college, Big Brown's thought pod, and then Sunday will be game day. It'll be here before you know it. So uh, plenty of stuff going on. Uh, on this channel and obviously on the website, too, as we as we prepare for uh, what is a, a massive uh, anticipation through the roof week one type of game here that is uh, has a chance to be really just a weird game. These 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 games with so much hype are often such a weird, weird sort of thing. So, um, Andrew, listen, thanks for taking time here, man. I know this is uh, pod's getting out a little late. This is on on my end being two hours, two hours behind. So thanks for being uh, willing to record in the morning, man. I, 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 I appreciate you. Glad to be with you, Jake. Okay, so that's a wrap on um, today. We will check back in later in the week um, you know, with a couple different pods, and then we will uh, you know, be ready to, to roll into the weekend and have some thoughts for you about what the Browns do, why they do it, and how they do it. So check in with the OBR Film Breakdown throughout the week for your podcast needs, and then we will be here on the OBR website with plenty of coverage there as well. So like I said, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate you guys. Rate and review the pod if you can. Always appreciate that stuff very much. And then I still think you should be joining the OBR website. If you haven't taken that leap, please do so. It would really be beneficial to your Browns fandom. So, for myself and Andrew, thanks for stopping by, and go Browns.